Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam. I get to serve as one of the executive pastors at South Mountain Community Church, and we are back for a new season. I had to go back and even look like where we were at um, because we wrapped up season 10 um, in our time in Colossians. We had some bonus episodes that you guys could go look back at. There's something related to Christmas, um, talking about Israel a little bit back in the fall. But now we are in season 11 and we are starting with some new content because we got we have just a great series that we're going through now uh, during the winter leading up to Good Friday and Easter. We're talking through uh, first, second, and third John mm-hmm. and... Uh, that's where we get to, to really be today. So yeah. welcome back, everybody. Yeah. Listeners, thanks for being here. Guys, good to be with you. Um, the band is back together. It's a three-piece band for this series <laughs> uh, as we study through. My favorite bands are three-piece bands, you know? Uh, Green Day, one, oh, okay. Blink-182, yeah. MX, oh, MXPX, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. you know? Nice, nice. There's something about the three-piece band You're that works. You're such a punk. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, really excited for the three of us to walk through um, verse by verse these letters from John. And uh, listeners, uh, hopefully you are following along every Sunday following along perhaps with others in community in our group studies, which you can find on the small group resources page of the mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. And you can follow along uh, weekly here as we dive deeper um, than the Sunday content or even the group content. And I'm really excited to do that. Yeah, I was just thinking about how um, this happens in all actually forms of... Is, is, is sermon preaching an art? Would you call it an art? Absolutely. Okay, I, I would agree. I was thinking about it because in movies or in, or actually in video games, one that I'm a remastered version I'm playing right now, there's like director's commentary on it, some cut levels that they did. And and that's kind of like the same that you do with movies or really anything or sermon writing. Yeah, like a director's cut. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that you just can't fit into the time that you're allotted to. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we need Absolutely. to do some more here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. I mean, so much to cover. Um, mm-hmm. So Trevor, Adam, once again, I'm Eric, and uh, we're excited to walk through this new season. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I guess where do we, we've done different formats, I guess, with our content, especially when we go through a book series like this, or first, second, third, John. What do we want to start with? Um, because we're going to be covering the previous Sunday, so Well, I think we should one. start with, Trevor, your, your theme, which um, is just brilliant. Take us through, how'd you arrive at this idea of contours? As you were studying for this series, how did you land on this theme being a really important um, framework for understanding the book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, just working through it in the fall, just uh, kind of studying through passage by passage, working on writing it, figuring out the, the branding and the theming, and... I think one day I actually had like an SMCCU meeting with uh, with one of the people from the leadership team, Nancy Schaefer, actually. We were mm-hmm. chatting about, I think, something completely unrelated, but this was just top of mind for me. And the theme contours popped up and uh, just I started to kind of run with that afterwards. And uh, I was like, maybe this will work. And and it ended up fitting really well where mm-hmm. I think it I think it really, um, in a very clear, very helpful way, describes sort of the writing style and the genre of John's letters. That he's not, uh, you know, if you... Well, contour coming from the French word for outline, describing a specific genre of art, contour drawings that uh, really just use only line, doing away with all the other tools that visual artists use to communicate, to convey their message. Um, I think for that reason, 
it's almost like a, it presents a nice contrast between John's writings versus some of the other writings in the New Testament. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Paul. Like, Paul is creating masterpieces, right? Like the, mm-hmm. like the Mona Lisa uh, with okay. a ton of detail, <clears throat> using all of the tools at his disposal, dissecting mm-hmm. salvation, going at length into argument. Um, whereas John is more so working in just a different genre where he's, uh, you know, these contour drawings that are just kind of rough and crude by nature, but it's because he's trying to do something different. He's trying to present uh, or even to sketch uh, these different images, these trying to present understandings of the most basic, most essential ideas involved in the Christian life. Hmm. Yeah, I love that description. You know, when I think of John, I've, I've been a Christian now since I was 18, so about half of my life. When I, when I think of John in my head, both the Gospel of John and his letters, I think, oh, simple, straightforward, light, love, really clear themes. So in my head, I have them pegged as simple. And then I go and read them, and they get really complicated really quickly. And I'm like, why do I always think they're simple? And then what I discovered is that a contour drawing is simple, but the beauty is found in the stark contrast of that which is the shape up against that which is not the shape. Mm -hmm. And so John is simple and then very challenging and then simple again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of his work here is so you you could read it, God so loved, God is love, God is light. You get these ideas that even a child can embrace and find beautiful and compelling. But then when you get a little bit deeper, it starts to get a little confusing because you're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how all the parts fit together. But then when you come back to the contour concept that this exists as a stark contrast to other worldviews of the day, wrong ideas about God, then you come out of it on the other side seeing the beauty of simplicity again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the journey we're on here through this series is it's simple and then it's rather complex Mm -hmm. and then... Mm-hmm. We end at simple conclusions again that are really back around to the same simple concepts we began with, um, but we know how we got there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope to do in this study. Yeah. I, I love the, yeah, just what you guys have been talking about and the idea of much of the New Testament's written by the Apostle Paul. And so we kind of compare a lot to that, generally speaking. And yeah, how you're saying like he's creating these masterpieces and really using all these different tools. And then John has this contours, which I guess we could simplify saying contrast. Would, would that be taking contours and simplifying it well? Contrast, like comparing yeah. one thing to another, just very plainly, yes. Yeah. But we're not con- we're not contrasting him to Paul. We're contrasting Correct. him to the yeah. worldviews that existed in these communities in Asia Minor. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to know what he's contrasting them against for yeah. the for the contrast to be clear. Right. That's actually a great point. I feel like those are the two, probably the two most important things um, in terms of a setup to understanding John's letters well. On the one hand, um, understanding his genre and kind of reading his writing style in its own terms and not importing other things into it. Uh, But then additionally, if you're going to make sense of John's letters, you have to understand what those worldviews are, primarily Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. If you miss that, everything that he's saying is so easy to misread and to misinterpret Mm -hmm. and to be confused about and to be like, why is he saying this and why does this matter and what's he getting at? But when you understand the backdrop of Gnosticism and how that had impacted this church that he's writing to, it becomes so clear, everything he's saying and why he's saying it. Yep. And so we hope to kind of show that as we study along. Um, and yeah, just to say it one more time to underscore it, Paul is using all the tools at his, at his disposal, which means he's using uh, reasoning, uh, logic. He's very technical, right? Yeah. He's using mm-hmm. words in specific ways, almost like a lawyer or an attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John is approaching it as an artist or... Um, you know, a, a builder or something with a Jewish mindset, you know, and it's a, it's a very different approach. And so I hope that um, through this study, we're able to 
really improve our ability to read the work on its own terms. I think mm-hmm. how you just said that's really, really good. And I think to start, I think a good place to start is just to start with John himself. Um, and what I wanted to do in week one of the series when I was communicating this is I wanted to just draw out some similar themes from the gospel of John and first John. And I think that is really helpful for us because it helps us see the themes that I'll, I'll use tools here, but not in the sense I used with Paul, but the tools that John is working with are the themes that are really important to him, his theological phrasing and his his theological concepts. And so just in, in like in first John one, just two themes, beginning and word, beginning and mm-hmm. word are in first John mm-hmm. chapter one. Um, and he says, well, and we'll read this again, but that which was from the beginning, which we have see- heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word, the word of life. Mm-hmm. And if we turn to John chapter one in the beginning, John chapter one, the gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I just think this is a simple um, cross-reference that we can do mm-hmm. that uh, affirms the authorship of both works, very, very clear, but also reinforces the theological uh, concepts that are really important mm-hmm. to John. And um, I unpack this a little bit, but you know, let's just kind of... Un- just describe beginning and word. So when we talk about word, it's a Greek word, logos. It was the organizing principle behind the universe. It was ultimate reality tied together through something. Mm -hmm. And the Greeks, of course, were looking for that. What's the thing that ties this whole world together? What's that philosophical perspective? And John says it's actually not a philosophical perspective. It's a person. He is the word. So it's a Word is the English translation of Logos. Logos was the organizing principle behind the universe. Ultimate reality was found in this thing or Mm -hmm. this one. And John's saying that is absolutely Jesus. Mm. So we see why word here really, really matters. Um, It's a little lost on us maybe in the 21st century, but when we unpack that, we we get that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Everything finds their meaning in accordance with him. What do you think is the direct translation for... You know, if John was here today in the year 2024, I wonder what would be the the thing that he would use. So right now he's he's going to basically Greek philosophy, yeah, and he's drawing off of that to say, you know, and like, what do people think now? <laughs> like, is it like Jesus is like I think like I don't know, like the the science. I don't know. Like yeah. people place a lot of emphasis on that thing, or what is it? Yeah, what yeah. It would be. I mean. I think uh, AI, artificial intelligence. Oh, people are talking go. about an intelligence behind it all. Yeah. Um. I think that's part of it or, um, you know, mother nature, I think yeah, it's okay, used that yeah. like somehow there's this impersonal force directing everything. Right. right. Um, but I just go back to ultimate reality. That's my yeah. goat. That's Jesus my go-to. Is the ultimate reality. Yeah. 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 That yeah. Christianity, uh, is the best explanation of the way the world is. It's the story of reality mm-hmm. and yeah. Jesus is at the core of that. Yeah. There's actually something kind of interesting there and in how John actually, you know, you're drawing out the concepts that are uh, especially important to him as we see repeated over and over again in the things that he writes and, and the way that he connects both this kind of Greek concept of the logos, the organizing principle, the um, really ultimate reality, he connects it to beginning because the, the Greek mind, uh, they were, uh, you know, they were very interested in understanding what ultimate reality was, but they didn't do so in a way that was shaped by narrative. 
where mm. for them it wasn't uh, it wasn't really even a, a question as to like when did things begin or how did they begin or uh, was there a beginning. From, from what I understand in the Greek mind, they weren't concerned if there ever was a beginning. So yeah. ultimate reality wasn't tied to a narrative in that way. Mm. And yet the, the Jewish mind absolutely uh, understood reality in that way from Genesis 1.1. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so you see sort of the, the collision of these two ways of thinking, these two concerns within John's work as he ties the beginning to this organizing principle, to the Logos, who is Jesus. And so he's ultimate reality, the one in which all meaning is found. And he's also the the one through whom all things were brought into being. <laughs> the meaning before meaning. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, was, he was there before the beginning you know yeah. and that's and that's what beginning really is all about so we're talking about eternal one the one that's always been the one that didn't have a beginning but began all things and that's mm-hmm. what john one is talking about uh mm-hmm. the gospel of john we see that um the other thing that we see in just these opening um sections if we compare is just the theme of light and dark i mean it is just mm-hmm. right there in the gospel Uh, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. So that's John 1. And if we go to 1 John, he's setting up these themes, too, of light and dark. And so it's just important to see how significant this was to John. Um, and as God is speaking through John, how significant these themes are and they need to be for us as, mm. as well. So I just thought we'd begin with a little cross-reference there, connecting the dots in our New Testament with these works by John. Yeah, and I'm, I'm probably going to speak a little bit out of uh, something I don't know exactly entirely all about, but you know, I, I think at that time, you guys probably know this stuff better than me, but um, darkness could have been conveyed as also... Um, almost like chaos like yeah. things just disorder or like and then you know you got light and it's bringing things into order or into you know uh, the way that they should be i guess mm-hmm. do you think that's playing here in the gospel john and and john's subsequent letters well absolutely yeah, yeah right. absolutely i think you know for paul he would talk about truth john's talking about walking in the light or aligning with truth but they're they're kind of the same concepts you know mm-hmm. that when you walk into the light you see the world which you couldn't see before because you were in darkness Mm -hmm. or you were blind, but you see the world God's way. And so, and you bring yourself into a relationship with him and that's described as light. Now you see clearly. And I, and I think that um, those themes are all at, all at play here. He's using more of a abstract um, visual type of thing with light and dark to describe seeing things the way that they actually are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, and of course, you know, you go all the way back to Genesis and God said, let there be light. Mm-hmm. And so there is this real visual sense of what light is. We mm-hmm. see by it. Um, it's the sun allows us to see it lights up the world. And all of this is just getting back to Jesus being the one we see all things through. He's the one that sees everything. Mm-hmm. He's the one that gives life, you know, as the sun was light and the sun gives life. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, I'm using SU in there, uh, Jesus gives those things to um, the world, to all of us, to humanity. And then the, the other theme, too, that John has in his gospel is he, he talks about um, the, the witness or the one who testifies to these things. Mm-hmm. And John, oh gosh, let me flip. Doing a lot of flipping. My Bible. He's old school. He's got paper Bible in My front of him. My Bible is absolutely <laughs> falling apart. Um. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him 
all might believe in uh, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light. So he keeps going. But the other thing that John is doing, and there he's talking about John the Baptist, not talking about him himself, yeah. is, is talking about the importance of eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. And you see that theme again in the letter where he says, we've seen, heard, uh, we looked at, and we, we touched. And yeah, so yep. back to your point, Trevor, the culture of the day, especially the the Greco-Roman culture, um, the philosophy was not something you could see or touch or look at mm. or eat with, you know? And so he's he's dealing with these abstract concepts, but he's connecting them to ultimate reality in uh, with, with evidence in gotcha. tangible ways. Yeah. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's and I, brilliant. And I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I'm prepping to, to preach week two, which is not what we're discussing today, but he's doing a lot of legwork to be super clear in who Jesus is because there's some people talking to these people that he's writing to who are really muddying the waters of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that, that does come into play even later in first John. Absolutely. And, and, and really that false teaching was he's either not fully God or he's not fully man. Right. Mm-hmm. So he either was just this deity that existed out there immaterially. Um, and then, you know, or maybe he was just physical, just a, just another mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. Um, or we separate both and we worship one aspect but not the other. And so he's cleaning all of that. Up. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So. Well, I think that's a pretty good setup for us to get into the letter itself. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Yeah, do we want to read from, we've already read a little bit of that first paragraph. Do we just want to go through that again, verses yeah. one through four? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do that. So we're reading from the NIV in case people listening are wondering. Um, so First John chapter one, verse one through four. Uh, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Yeah, um, let's let's hang in there a little bit. Um, I think the other thing I want to underscore there in verse four, and we'll kind of back up through the through the paragraph, is um, to make our joy complete. Uh, or there's a little asterisk there, a little letter A. Some manuscripts, your joy complete. Mm probably is meant to read to make joy complete. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Um, And of course, in John 15, John was there the day that Jesus said that my joy will be in you and and your joy will be complete. Mm -hmm. And and so another rich theme from John. And now, of course, this is really important to us at SMCC because we talk about full delight. And so here we have John saying, if you get Jesus wrong, you'll have less joy you you, your joy will suffer um you will miss out on complete joy if you miss out on jesus which i think is what jesus was saying in john 15 and and john captured that for us so once again joy a big part of who john is and and his work and just a huge part of the gospel um trevor let's do a, a little bit here with um jesus being fully god where else do you see it in that section? I think John's making that point mm-hmm. that he's fully God. Where are some other places where we could see that? 
Yeah. Well, I think the cross-reference with word, uh, taking us back to John 1, that, that pretty clearly states it, right? The word was with God. Um, and so then you also see that which was from the beginning. That's sort of a shorthand way of saying that which has always been, that which wasn't created, that which is eternal. And then equating that with the word of life, equating that really with Jesus. Um, I think those are the ways in which we see in this passage him saying that, that Jesus is uh, fully divine, that he is God. And of course, we see that in many other places throughout the New Testament as well. For example, John chapter 8, Jesus makes that claim himself. Uh, Colossians 1 uh, speaks of Jesus in that way as well. Um, so those are the places I see it. Uh, is there anything else you, you drew out from this? The, the one thing I didn't um, mention on Sunday is which was with the Father, which was mm-hmm. with the Father. So of course, mm-hmm. um, the Jewish listener is going to uh, think of the Father as eternal, mm-hmm. um, but now saying that Jesus was with the Father is uh, a way of underscoring what we just said. Um, and yeah. then it has, has appeared to us. So there we have the incarnation, the, mm-hmm. the second person of the Trinity took on flesh, took on human nature, and appeared physically. Yeah. Now, I like what you mentioned about Colossians there because um, by contrasting Paul and John, we learn a lot about each of their works individually, but they are also very much aligned because mm-hmm. Colossians 1 is making similar points about um, Jesus, like John makes here. And then when we get to chapter two, John writes about an advocate, uh, the righteous one, uh, yeah. which is his way of underscoring, I think, justification, that we have one who stands before the Father who gives us righteousness, which is, of course, yeah. something that co- sort of Paul is more famous for, justification by faith, but yeah. John gets it too. And so mm-hmm. I love seeing those, I love seeing the distinctions in mm-hmm. their works, but then seeing um, the timeless truth, the harmony in their their works as well. Uh, what about fellowship, Trevor? This word comes up four times alone in chapter one, mm-hmm. which is a huge contextual clue, repetition, a huge clue to context. Yeah. This is why I read this as how to walk with God in fellowship, sanctification, not how to get saved, but what's it like now that I am with him. Yeah. Fellowship, take us through that. Yeah, totally. Um, so fellowship, I think that's how John is actually describing salvation. Um, and if you notice, he, he kind of, you, you could put it in like horizontal and vertical terms, but in Greek, the word is koinonia, which has more to do with just kind of being a friendly acquaintance of someone. It's a depth of relationship, uh, something you could describe as like a communion between people. Um, and I think what John is really doing at the beginning of this passage, especially as he um, introduces, you know, he comes out of the gates with the incarnation. Uh, Jesus is both physical and eternal, uh, fully God, fully human. And then he sketches this understanding of salvation being about fellowship, uh, about this depth of relationship with God, this kind of communion with God. And then he moves into expanding on darkness and light. And I think what John is actually doing is, you know, we find out in, in chapter two that this church had been visited by some teachers who were propounding this kind of Gnostic doctrine that I think had really significantly impacted this church to the point where they were confused, they had questions, they weren't sure how to sort through what they're hearing, what they've heard from John in the past and what they're hearing from these teachers. And uh, John writes to them in the midst of this, and essentially, I think he's reminding them of what the gospel is in order to bring clarity to their current situation. So, uh, because the gospel is not just the entry point into the Christian life, it's mm-hmm. the entire thing, right? It's, it's not just the diving board that gets you in the pool, it is the whole pool itself. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and so he's laying that out here with darkness and light, I think, to bring clarity to them about how to move forward in the midst of some things that this Gnostic teaching has confused. Yeah, so the Gnostic teaching basically was communicating, if you 
believe correctly, think correctly, maybe go through some private ceremonies, you'll arrive at a higher status, you'll reach enlightenment. You've made it, right? Mm -hmm. Life is better Mm -hmm. for you because you've had this experience. Now that because you have this uh, in the background of your life, go live however you want, Monday through Friday, it doesn't really matter because you believe so correctly or you've had Mm -hmm. these spiritual, the spiritual awakening, whatever that philosophically looks like or or sounds like. And he's saying that um, if you treat Jesus in that way, you will lose fellowship. You will continue Mm -hmm. to walk in light. Now, I don't mean lose salvation. Mm -hmm. And this is where we go, oh, did Eric just say that? Because even as I said it, it's like people's radars are maybe going off. Mm -hmm. Lose fellowship, does that mean lose salvation? And I think that's that's an appropriate radar to have. Mm -hmm. But once again, rather than trying to say, is John talking about this before the line of salvation or after the line of salvation, we have to say Jesus. Uh, John's not actually trying to put a line down for us in this way. Yeah. He's trying to describe what it looks like to walk with God in close fellowship, which of course, you know, sounds like after salvation. Um, and, I, and I get that. I get that. Um, but I don't think John's trying to help. A, doesn't want us going, are they saved or are they not saved? Are they saved or are they not saved? He's yeah. saying, if we claim to, which is someone who says, I want to walk with God, then here's what you need to know about walking with God. Mm-hmm. And that's where fellowship comes in. And I think that was something I was trying to make very clear for our folks is that if you try to get if if you try to get John to speak into something that he's not speaking into, you mm-hmm. might miss what he's actually saying. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I want to avoid here. Yep. And I think um, you know, if you grew up in an altar call type church or pray a prayer and get mm-hmm. saved, yeah. and you're trying to get John to kind of step into that picture or that expression mm-hmm. of salvation um you're gonna miss what he's saying yeah and, that, yeah and that's what i was trying to uh get us to not do as a church is to read this yeah. on his terms yeah I, and i think even like a catholic background if you grew up with that that would give you a particular understanding of this passage that i i don't think is helpful um where essentially you do have to confess to some religious authority mm-hmm. uh in order to be forgiven of your sins and so you got to kind of do that on an ongoing basis and i think mm-hmm. that that um, isn't what John is getting at? Because uh, again, he's he's responding to Gnosticism, to people who've been confused, uh, who are wavering and uh, have some difficulty because of this. And he's trying to bring clarity to them in a way that uh, re kind of grounds them in the gospel, in a way that gives them clarity about how to continue to live uh, in the light in and in the relationship with God that they've been brought into through what Jesus has done on their behalf. Yeah, so in this first paragraph, just one through four, basically our takeaway could be if you get your understanding of Jesus wrong, if your Christology is off Mm -hmm, a little bit, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fellowship will be off a lot down the road. Um, And that's I think that's a a good way to describe this. Um, The one thing, too, that's interesting, Trevor, uh, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, Son does not mean offspring of. It means the one who shares the same substance as I think it's always important to underscore that because I continue to meet people who read Son and they think Jesus is God's kid, you know, mm-hmm. offspring mm-hmm. of. And so I always want to correct that. But why why not include the Holy Spirit here? What, what do you think, Trevor, with just those first two persons, but not the third? Is there anything we should make of that? Do you have a response to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think the Holy Spirit does come into the letter as you read further on, especially in chapter two. And we'll see some of that towards the tail end of it. Um, and that, that, to some extent, may just be some of the difference that we see between the writings of John and the writings of, of Paul. Um, but I think, I think in some ways, 
you know, and feel free, feel free to challenge me on this, but I think in some ways people would almost see the Holy Spirit playing a role in, uh, and in some ways making possible our relationship with Jesus and our fellowship with the Father, mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit, you know, after placing trust in Jesus, takes up residence within us. And, uh, and so we're united to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And those are sort of the, if you want to think about it mechanically, mm-hmm. uh, those are sort of the, the, the things that operate or that open up the door to relationship with, with God. Yeah, I mean, obviously John is well aware of the Trinity. He's well aware of the Holy Spirit. Um, if we take his gospel into consideration, he's talking about the Holy Spirit often, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think it is interesting that that's not included here. And I, and I think it's because of what you said, that mechanically speaking, if this fellowship is fully known and fully loved, it's the Holy Spirit in us, drawing us to the Father and Son in that type of connection. And I think that's probably, a, a, I don't want to make too much of it here, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but I think uh, in terms of the shape of the contour, uh, you're not having fellowship Gnostics with some you know, principle that exists out there that can't be seen, heard, or touched, but you're having relationship with the Father and the Son, and the Son can be touched. And I think that that's, he's using those two sort of together to talk about the um, extent of the relationship we have with God. I think that's kind of what, it's the Son who's made a way Mm -hmm. for us to have fellowship with the Father, and by trusting the Son who's made a way, we have fellowship with the Trinity. I think that's yeah. kind of what he's trying to say there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing I would note just from this paragraph that I think stood out to me, and I'm constantly, you know, learning, I think in my time here in Utah, usually when I've thought about, um, who is Jesus? How do I answer that question? I go to the gospel of John, but, uh, just quickly here in the, in the front end, I just love how in first John, it says that, which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Like it's so I believe it's so plain, even in First John, also in John the Gospel and First John one one, um, speaking about Jesus, speaking about Him being there from the beginning, and this is who we have heard and seen with our own eyes. So, like, just lots of confirmation from John. Yeah, who is Jesus? He is God. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what's that's a lot of what He's gotten. And here. He actually lived. We saw uh-huh. Him. Yep. Yeah, versus some immaterial principle philosophy that govern the universe. Mm-hmm. Hard to have fellowship with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, or even that he was you can, created. I mean, like you can live under. You can live under it, but you're not going to have close fellowship or relationship with it. Because mm, um, yeah. philosophies and principles don't love you like Jesus loves you. And and I think that that's <laughs> well built into this. That's actually Aristotle's unmoved mover. Yes. Uh, only thinks about himself because can only he can only think about what's perfect, and he's the yeah. only thing that's perfect. And so all of reality emanates from him, but. He's not thinking about you. He doesn't love you. Right. It's just mm. like this yeah. philosophical idea that can only think about itself. Yep. And uh, and I like how John steps in and in, like includes some of that Greek thought, but also does so in a way that um, you know he kind of turns water into wine, takes what's good from it. All truth is God's truth, but uh, and but you know ties it together with really what he's learned from being with Jesus in life and ministry with him, growing up as a Jewish person within the tradition of the Old Testament mm-hmm. scriptures and. Uh, just ties these concepts together in a way that I think brings a lot of clarity. Yeah. And before we peek into this next section here, I do want to say when we say salvation is fellowship or salvation is intimacy with God, um, we are not saying that's how you get saved. We're saying the experience of being saved is marked by these things. Mm -hmm. Experientially intimacy with God 
is salvation experientially mm-hmm. as we live our life with him. It's fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's important to understand that as someone bows the knee, places their faith into Jesus, uh, trusts him, shifts their allegiance, all these words for stepping across the line. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what can we expect now? Well, it's intimacy. It's fellowship. That's the goal here. Yeah. And I yeah. think you put it well in your message when I listened to it. I think you said this is, this is the difference between sanctification and justification. We're two different subjects that maybe we could sometimes overlap too much. Yeah. And I, and I think John is trying to give us a bigger picture of it. Not, you know, here, everybody step across the line. He's mm-hmm. saying, if you want to know what it means to experience salvation, it's fellowship, it's intimacy. Yeah. I think that's what, that's what he's saying. So that, that once again, you know, is, is part of where we have to be careful to not um, try to get John to sound like Paul or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Because if we try to make this a step across the line chapter, mm-hmm. um, we, we might miss what he's trying to say about walking in fellowship with God. Yeah. And that contour of fellowship, I think, is especially important. Because if you think in terms of a relationship, um, a relationship isn't like a static thing. Like, uh, you know, it's like a, like a light switch. Either I know you or I don't know you. Right. It's, mm. it's the sort of thing where, like, um, you know, Mary and I, we've been married for uh, 11 years at this point. Oh, boy. And we know each other far more than we did 11 years ago. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's things that, you know, have been over the course of time been brought out of the darkness into the light. And what that, you know, further knowledge about each other brings about is the ability to love each other more mm-hmm. completely. As we know each other more fully, we can love each other more completely. And when you're in a relationship with a God who is infinite, uh, there's never an end of the process of learning to know that God more, learning to love, uh, coming to love that God more and more, mm-hmm. as well as allowing ourselves uh, to really be embraced by the love of that God more and more as well. The way you just said that is spot on. More, we know each other more fully and therefore we can love each other more completely. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what John is trying to describe to these Christians. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not, I'm in now, so it doesn't matter how I live. No, because you're in now, why don't you bring more and more of yourself into the God's light? Yeah. That's, that's what he's trying to say. Well, I think what's fascinating too is that you can actually see the heart motivation behind what this Gnostic teaching is bringing in that essentially it, it gives you an out to keep what's hidden in the darkness in the darkness. So if you're like, I'm afraid to bring this into the light, I'm afraid that if other people find out about this, they're going to reject me, right? I think, Adam, you've talked about shame being the fear of disconnection, mm-hmm. that that is the, the motivation for saying, I don't, I don't want to bring this uh, into the light. I don't want to risk rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and essentially Gnostic teaching gave you a way to do that. So if you've got the secret knowledge, whatever form or shape that takes, then you're good, and because salvation is a, a spiritual, intellectual thing, then uh, what you do with your body doesn't matter. And so if you've got these skeletons in the closet, if you've got these things from your past, if you've got these things you're struggling with now, uh, the good news is that doesn't really matter. So just kind of keep that where it is because you're good and you're fine. And it gives people an out to continue living in that way, which I think in some sense you can see the motivation because it is so scary to bring it out of the darkness and into the light. And yet what John is trying to clarify is the only way to really have the experience of being loved in the way that we're invited into is to, is to take that risk to bring it out of the darkness and into the light. That is profound, Trevor, because uh, religion, uh, I, I just wonder if there's a correlation here between religious groups that keep a lot in the dark, probably have more private ceremonies to reach higher ground of Gnosticism to allow for their spirituality to happen in one 
you know, floor of the house and then to have the cover-ups happen on another floor. So I think what's happening here, you know, we are all very well aware of the cover-ups in church world. Mm -hmm. Cover-up, cover-up here, cover-ups there. It's the opposite of what John is describing, but I think Gnosticism allows for those cover-ups because to the degree that I can have these ceremonies of spiritual enlightenment, then that's where the main thing happens. And now it doesn't really matter what I do with my body or with my life or with my character or my morality or my ethics or behavior or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think someone maybe smarter than me could do a, a diagram on how that looks mm. to the degree that we think spirituality is immaterial, abstract concepts, Gnosticism. I will probably have some things I want to cover up in my public life, you know, or, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh-huh. in my day to day life. Yeah. Well, and I think too, let's just not ignore how this crosses over into the context that we are in here in Utah. And I think that there is maybe even a mismatch in experience here as we're talking about this, because I think some people come out of religion and they're trying to understand Christianity and the gospel. And they're like, well, it's grace. And so grace just allows you to kind of cross the finish line using air Mm -hmm. quotes and then just live the way you want to live. And John is absolutely not saying that. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he's saying, your faith is now a very public thing, just as Jesus's ministry was very, very public. His life, his death, his resurrection, very public. And so now we, you know, in in Bible-only Christianity don't... I mean, there are private disciplines, mm-hmm. but our faith is a public faith. We gather yeah. together publicly. Mm-hmm. And the private disciplines are not to gain... Um, higher ground it's to put ourselves into places to appreciate jesus all the more Mm -hmm. um and so i I just really think what john's doing here is challenging the the very things that would produce the need for religious Mm cover-ups and i love that yeah it's great all right well we're not even to verse five yet and we've been going quite a while so let's hit verse five and and maybe just go to verse seven and then pause there so uh verse five Uh, says this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that's verse five through seven there in first John. Awesome. Well, um, when we read this, so once again, when we read blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, it might be easy to read that as uh, these people are reading this and they are not yet Christians and they need to step across the line and become Christians. But that's not how I read this. I read this section as even after I'm following Jesus, I will sin and I need to be reminded of the blood of Jesus that purifies me from the ongoing sin that might persist in my life. My Mm. status before him, my standing before him has not changed, but I need to remember that for the rest of my life, I will at times choose darkness. I will sin. And it's the blood of Jesus shed on the cross once and for all that will purify me in that moment. So I can continue to walk in fellowship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to go back to the, to the cross in terms of get saved, but I go back to the cross to remind myself of what it means to mm-hmm. be saved. And that produces this um, reminder that I'm walking in fellowship with, yeah. with Jesus. And that's where confession comes in. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to bring those things into the light and we're safe to do so. Uh, and so I think that's what John is getting at here. So once again, mm-hmm. um, beating up Gnosticism and bringing us back to 
the light. Yeah, it's interesting too how in the middle of verse 7 he inserts, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, so that same word fellowship, that kind of depth of relationship, kind of communion between people. And it's in the context of, of walking in the light, right, and uh, purifies us from all sin that uh, the temptation can be to keep things hidden in the darkness when we're struggling with them. And yet I think what he's describing here, in light with everything you just said, that um, when we take what's out of the darkness and bring it into the light in the context of our relationship with God and even with each other, that gives us the opportunity to uh, to be supported, to be encouraged, to be reminded that, uh, hey, you know, this is what Jesus did on behalf of you, that this is... Um, you know, basically to remind them of their standing, their identity, how it's set and secure in Jesus Christ. And and I think that kind of relational connection, to be loved in that way, is a significant part of um, of kind of that purification, that sanctification process. Yep. Uh, as we head to the end of today's podcast, as we have just got started in this study, <clears throat> I do want to say I think there is today a modern form of Gnosticism that exists in the church. I call it an evangelical Gnosticism, which is this idea that because I'm, I believe so rightly or correctly about justification, how I live my life doesn't really matter. That is so concerning to me. That's not, that is not uh, biblical Christianity. That's, that's seeing the gospel as the diving board, not the whole pool. And what John is saying here is if we claim to have fellowship, meaning because I'm right about justification, because I am right about who Jesus is or whatever, then um, it doesn't matter how I live. And he's saying, no, it absolutely does matter how you live. You can underbelieve the truth and be a Christian. You can um, misbehave <laughs> and be a Christian. And in all of that, we are still safe to confess. And I think that brings us out of this evangelical Gnosticism to say that all of my life, I do want to live in submission to King Jesus and walk in fellowship with him, other words of relational closeness, intimacy with him, fully known and fully loved. And I think um, it is very important to say, I've claimed this, but does my life support this? Mm. I've claimed this, but does my life support this? And John is saying it's possible to claim one thing and live out something different. <laughs> and so here we continue to bring these things in our lives before Jesus. That's san- that's the sanctification process. Yeah, so could we put it simply, if you're listening to this, a question you could ask is if I claim to be in fellowship with God, does my life reflect Ma- that? Match that. Does yep. it match that? Yep. Yeah, and that's that's a great question to ask. And in the rest of the letter, John's gonna describe what that match looks like. It does mm-hmm. include doctrine, but also includes love. It includes yeah. uh, um, obedience. Obedience, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep. And so that's where he's going to go next. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, c- should I wrap up verses eight through ten? Do we sure. want to? Okay, mm-hmm. let's do that. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Awesome. Not in us, not in us, not in us, in us. I don't read that as you're not saved, you're not saved, you're dead in your sin. Mm -hmm. I read it as you are missing the thing that should be in you all the more, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a not in us uh, in terms of, I, I just don't think the contour drawing is set up to read not in us as not saved. I think we should read it as I'm missing it. I'm not living in light of it. I've undermined it. I've under believed it, I'm living out of step with it. That's how what I think John is trying to do 
contextually yeah. with not in us. It's almost like if we if we draw back to uh, to like the Gospel of John, you could see some things in there. Like he does equate Jesus with the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, Jesus himself says that. And then you've also got these other metaphors, like I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. Mm-hmm. It's possible to be a Christian and to not abide mm-hmm. in Jesus. Like we do that imperfectly all the time. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. Right, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But it's as if the truth's not in you right then, yeah. right? Mm. Um, now, yeah. I get that because not in us is pretty strong language, some Christians read this in terms of not saved at all. Um, I don't think contextually as we look at fellowship and we look at other things that that's what John's trying to communicate. I think in a strong way with a stark outline, a big contrast, mm-hmm. he's saying, look, guys, um, y- you've missed it so badly. Mm-hmm. It's as if it's not in you. Mm. I think that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Wow. And to, and to try to ask it to say, is this salvation or not, is, is um, asking John to do something he's not trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great. Is there any more we need to read, or are we just doing the first John part? Do we need to jump let's, into let's leave it there, and let's just yeah. say for this week, I want to encourage the listeners to live in light of the truth, live in light of the light, mm-hmm. and take things that are in darkness and safely bring them before Jesus so that you can experience the depth of being fully loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we're after. What a great, yeah, next step thought, I think, for people listening. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank you all for being here today and listening. And um, we'll be back next week. We'll go through all of our weeks of contours together. And if this was helpful, you can do us a favor by sharing it with someone or leaving us a review on your podcast platform. That would help us out a lot. Thanks for spending time with us today. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.